Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we are talking about Babylon from writer-director Damien Chazelle, which I think, yeah, we did we do First Man? Maybe we did First Man. I was going to say it's the first time we've covered one of Damien Chazelle's movies. I don't remember doing First Man, but uh, it's possible we covered it. Who knows? That was a long time ago. But anyway, I'm excited to talk about this one because I loved this movie. And joining me to talk about it is another person who loved this movie, Carson Tamar. It's been a while since Carson's been on the show, but happy to have him back. And uh, we have a great conversation, lots of great puzzle pieces to get into. But before we get to that, I do want to remind you, as always, to make sure you're subscribed wherever it is you listen to podcasts. And while you're at it, if you like what we do here with finding puzzle pieces and that whole thing, leave us a five-star rating and review. Really appreciate it. Always trying to get those up and, uh, you know, it looks good to the people who give me access to stuff so I can cover more movies. So uh, it would be nice if you did that. Also, just make sure you're subscribed and follow us on social media at PiecingPod. And, you know, this episode is coming out right before the end of the year. So uh, with that being said, you know, we've got our top 10 list episodes coming up. We've got a lot of other episodes coming up. And I'm also very excited about my new album, More Content, which comes out later this week. And so, uh, yeah, make sure to check out that. Um, I'll talk more about it at the end of the episode. But for now, let's get into Babylon. All right, we've got Carson Tamar back on the show with us. Carson, how are you? I am doing great. I'm so happy to be back on the show and especially talking about a movie I love. So very excited. Thanks for having me on. I am very happy that you're back and I'm very happy that you love this movie because I love this movie too. And I feel like before we get into puzzle pieces, before we get into much of, of like digging into Babylon, we should maybe talk for a second about why we think people don't like this movie, or at least a lot of people don't like this movie. It's very divisive, and yes. I feel like that's kind of the case always with Damien Chazelle. Is it? Is it not? Am I right about that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, every single movie of his, I come away saying I love it, and then most people I know, let's say about 60%, are like, oh, it's trash. And I'm like, how do you think it's trash? It's amazing. But yeah. I don't know. There's something about Chazelle, and I get this one more than like La La Land, let's say. But like... Mm. There's something about him that just people do not resonate with. Well, some people. Some people love him, but some people just hate him. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's not just like, oh, it was pretty good, but I didn't love yeah. it or anything. No, it's like this movie is trash, and you are trash if you like it. Like yes. that, that seems to be the, uh, the the direction that a lot of people come from. And yeah, I I don't get it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I I and I had a, a measured response to La La Land. I liked it, didn't love it. Um, I did love Whiplash. Um, I yeah. I didn't really like First Man. Um, I thought it was just okay, but um. I love this one, and I really don't understand the the trash takes on on, on this guy. But uh, it, you know, one one thing about this movie is uh, of all the movies this year, other than maybe Top Gun Maverick, this is like one of the biggest movies I feel like that I've seen like on the screen that like just pops off the screen of the year, and that's part of what I loved it so much. Yeah, no, I cannot agree more. I'd throw probably Avatar in that conversation also, but I mean, sure. Yeah, it's a epic in every sense. I mean, this is a modern epic. I would I've described it in my review and I would describe the film. I mean, it's huge, it is immersive, it is loud, it is bombastic, but like yeah, I love those qualities. It sucked me in. One of the best theatrical experiences of the year. This is one of those like you can watch it at home and I've seen it twice now, once at home, once in the theater. Highly, highly encourage people to go to the theater. I mean, it is a, a fully immersive experience. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we might as well start getting into some puzzle pieces here. There'll be plenty to get through, I'm sure. Uh, what do you have for your first piece? So I'm going to go first with Paul Thomas Anderson's Boogie Nights. I think there's sure. a lot of very narrative similarities here. I would almost say, like, you could probably write an essay on, like, how Babylon is a low-key remake of Boogie Nights in some ways about these young kids going into this industry, finding the spotlight, finding the fame, and then falling out of it. And that's the mm -hmm. thesis of Babylon, right? It is about finding that spotlight and then the spotlight moving on. And then the desperation to stay in the spotlight and the tragedy of progress, mm. the tragedy of that moving on. And that's a thousand percent present in Boogie Nights. You feel bad for these characters. You see their rise, you see their fall. And it's this poignant, beautiful experience. Obviously, there's differences with setting, with time, with characters, with specifics. But when you boil it down, these are two films with very similar backbones. Yeah. Absolutely. I have Boogie Nights on my list as well. I, I think everything you just said is, you know, perfectly encapsulates it. I, I think it's it's amazing how both films show like how exciting it all is, but mm. then also just how bad it can get. And, you know, of course, uh, another very clear uh, comparison that could be made is the the classic Alfred Molina scene in Boogie Nights, which here Tobey Maguire is doing a very good job of trying to live up to that. You can't beat that scene, but like, you know, he's, he's good and creepy and weird and uh, I think very memorable in his own right uh, in, in the way that he, he does it. But yeah, that whole final sequence, so, well, I guess it's, it's a pre-final sequence of uh going into like that whole underbelly of like the dark version of the glitz and glamour of everything that we've seen so far is uh such a great way of just kind of you know uh bold facing that point of of how bad things can get in babylon of the title you know so it's it's really uh it's really exciting and fun the way that they put that together but also horrifying <laughs> Oh, absolutely. I mean, I never knew I needed Tobey Maguire to do the Joker. And then right. here he like he gives it and it's great. <laughs> <laughs> that is basically what it is. Yeah. Uh, I you know, you said this could be like a remake of Boogie Nights. I think the other movie that this could be a remake of is Singing in the Rain. So mm -hmm. I think I'll go with that for the first puzzle piece here, um, which also dealt with the uh, the switch over from uh, silent films to talkies and, and filmmakers and actors having 
you know, so many issues in that in that change, that big change. And there are entire sequences here that are completely homages to things that happen in Singing in the Rain. I would say the funniest scene of Babylon is when they're first trying to record, uh, you know, trying to film a, a scene with audio and it goes horribly wrong. And that whole sequence, uh, I had actually never seen Singing in the Rain. And for people who like are anti homages in film or whatever like maybe it'll make somebody go back and watch the classics so you know like that's like a big mission statement of this podcast here we're talking about puzzle pieces and things that inspired other things i maybe would have never gotten around to it i watched it last week and loved it of course i mean it's singing in the rain and uh you know they're two different takes on very similar ideas but both amazing could not agree more i would highly suggest people watch singing in the rain before this film because yeah. I don't know, I could not imagine watching Singing in the Ring after, considering the takes <laughs> this movie directly has on that film. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Sure. <laughs> well, what do you got for your next piece? So my next one is going to be 1975's The Day of the Locust, obviously based on the Nathaniel West novel, which you could probably say is the inspiration, but we'll go with the film version. Kind of mm -hmm. the original classic look at like depravity in Hollywood, someone going into the industry um, and then finding themselves far too deep into it all. And specifically, the final image is very famously this portrait of, like, turning Hollywood into hell. It's just depravity. It is gross. It is uncomfortable. And that Tobey Maguire scene, and I'll mention that again soon, but how that scene, and also the scenes in the theater when it's the first uh, talkie on screen and he sees it, there's such a horror to those scenes and there's such a depravity and such, you know, an uncomfortableness. It feels like you're witnessing something gross, even though, you know, it's just people cheering in a theater. Um, the Tobey Maguire scene, I'll admit, is a little bit grosser. Uh, <laughs> but how this film tackles depravity in Hollywood matches so closely with the thesis of Day of the Locust that it has to be seen, I think, as one of the clearest puzzle pieces there. Yeah, and that's another one that um, I... I heard of and i've never actually seen it and i've heard it mentioned in, in comparison to this and to a lot of movies that deal with like the excess of all that and so i i think it's something i definitely need to watch uh a, another puzzle piece i'll just throw right on top of there when talking about excess you have to talk about the wolf of wall street um which i think you know of course excess 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 that's what it's all about but like scorsese left it up to the audience to really decide like you know is this good is this bad and that's like the brilliance of the movie and of course like you know scorsese has his own point of view but you know it's up to the audience and some of the audience is going to look at it completely the wrong way but that's just how it is you know i i think that chazelle is kind of doing that here although he he is showing that whole long sequence of like the bad part to kind of like I think you should see the bad in here, but you know, but uh, certainly there, there's a, a lot of um, celebration of you know the opening moments of the film that is you know people are going to be like God, how amazing that all is. So you know, you certainly have that uh, the dueling points of view of whether it's good or bad. Absolutely, that's the brilliance is how you know you go in and it's so warm and exciting in the beginning, and then you just turn it at the end and it's like, oh, I hate this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, fantastic. Well, what do you got for your next one? I'll stick with Scorsese. I'm going The Irishman, which 2019, okay. specifically in the editing and the use of time and runtime. Both of these films are very long, obviously. Irishman a bit longer than this. But both use time to give an added weight and gravitas to the project, where at the end of The Irishman, you're supposed to feel like, wow, I saw life lived. 
Here, you're supposed to see an era of Hollywood. It needs to be three hours. I stand very firmly on that. I will argue every other film can be cut by an hour. Babylon needs to be this length. And at the end, you really do feel like you haven't witnessed just like an individual story or narrative. You've witnessed an era with many players, many characters, just like The Irishman. I think how it handles the editing and using that element is very reminiscent of Scorsese's work. That's a really uh, interesting point of view because like, and, and I, I agree with you. I think, I think it makes a lot of sense, but you know, we're in an era right now of long movies. Like everything yeah. is a little bit too long, but I agree. Like, first of all, this movie, it, it's such a blast of energy that you, you don't really feel the time, but at the same time, yeah, I mean, they're, they're trying to uh, show you an entire time period in, in movie history and to understand that it's over. And that these mm. people are still around, you know, and what are they going to do with that? And obviously it doesn't end well for most of them, but uh, that, you know, y you have to show all of that in order to really kind of drive the point home. And yeah, Scorsese, obviously with the Irishman, like that, it worked so well there too. I, I think that people that complained about the, the length of that one, you know, they, what are you even doing? Like, you know, why wouldn't you want to spend three hours with, with those characters, you know, like, come on. But, uh, yeah, so that's a great one to bring up. Um, I will go to Robert Altman's The Player for my next puzzle mm. piece here. You know, as far as, you know, the movie itself and the story, you know, it being a mystery set in Hollywood, it, it's certainly a def very different, uh, kind of movie and has very different, uh, ideas in its sights, but uh, just showing the the background of the world of filmmaking and and you know you're seeing those back office deals, you're seeing the way that uh, stories get get made and the way that producers put you know actors together with directors and all the things that go into filmmaking, and uh, you're seeing so much of that in Babylon. I mean that whole long extended sequence in the desert where they're filming multiple movies and you're kind of getting to see how the sets work and how the directing mm -hmm. works and there, there's just so much behind the scenes stuff there. And for anybody who loves movies, I, I can't imagine how you wouldn't at least enjoy those aspects of the film. Oh, could not agree more. I mean, it, the magic of film, it's so funny because it's a film like specifically Babylon is such a film that at the end of the day, hates cinema, but it's at the end of the day, a film that just loves cinema. And I think it like, yeah. There's so many films this year, like not to use the film Twitter phrase, uh, Love Letter to Cinema, but you had Empire mm -hmm. of Light, you had like multiple others that really try to capture that magic of the movies. And I don't think anyone has done it as well as Babylon. Absolutely. I, I completely agree with that statement. And uh, I think I even put that in my letterbox review. But um, <laughs> what do you have for your next one? Well, my next two are silent films, because it only makes sense for this movie to have some silent films. And the first, we're going way back to 1911, uh, the first ever Italian feature film, Dante's Inferno, for a couple of reasons. Narratively, for anyone who doesn't know, Dante's Inferno is about this guy traveling through the different layers of hell. Um, in the Tobey Maguire scene, I said out of reference it, here we are again. I think there's very clear parallels as you're going deeper and deeper in the basement and going through the different layers of hell. But also mm -hmm. Chazelle's thesis of painting pictures and portraits with bodies. This is a very epic film. There's hundreds of bodies on screen, whether it's at a party or it's on set filming a fight scene. And specifically this version of Dante's Inferno, before there was a lot of special effects, it uses bodies in a very certain way to paint with them. It truly is pieces of art with how bodies are laid on screen, the curves of how they bend as they're laying down, or if they're fighting, or if they're standing with a shot composition. 
in this very similar way that you see that with Chazelle, and it's so rare to see nowadays with visual effects and such, to see so many humans on screen moving together to create something just powerful. I mean, it's it's a power that you cannot fictionalize, and it's a power you cannot recreate without mm. just having the mass of humanity. So I see a lot of similarities in both these projects, and I think that's one of the strongest things Chazelle pulled specifically from the silent era, is how do we use the human body to tell a story? And that's all over in Babylon. Yeah, I, I think that that's a, a great puzzle piece. There's so many parallels there, especially with that whole ending sequence. But, uh, you know, as, as to, like, the use of, of human bodies in this, like, it's also post-COVID. Like, mm. and so, like, we, we really don't see that at all in movies anymore. Everything is like a, a COVID production where we had to like scale down and scale back and everything. And, you know, one way or another, this movie, is, I mentioned already how big and how much it pops off the screen. And part of that is just these full shots of, of yeah. people, you know, and that really is exciting to see and how he pulled all this off. Who the hell knows? But it, it definitely makes a portrait. Do you do that thing now in theaters where you sit there and you're like, how did this get made with COVID? I do that like yeah. consistent. This one was probably the biggest, but like yeah. every film, I'm just like, how do you do that with COVID? I don't yes. know how he did this. I'm assuming everyone was safe. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd imagine so. But uh that's Hollywood, right? That's that's right. almost the whole point. So it's a meta point there. Uh, <laughs> you know what? I for my next piece, I I I a little bit stole this one uh, because I saw a tweet that I was like, "Oh, that's a perfect puzzle piece," and I'm uh, I'm going to use it. And uh, it was actually uh, film critic Robert Daniels who tweeted this uh, about the last black man in San Francisco. Uh, mm. You already kind of brought this point up, but um, in that film, Jimmy Fail says. You don't get to hate San Francisco. You don't get to hate it unless you love it to a bunch of white yuppies on the bus uh, who are complaining about the city. And it's such a great scene, such a great movie. And it's exactly the mission statement of this film. Like, you can't hate Hollywood unless you absolutely love Hollywood. And that's, that's exactly uh, what Chazelle is doing here. He is showing just how awful it is by showing how amazing it is and all the things to love about it and hate about it at the same time. And... I, that's, I mean, that's as real as you can get, I think. Yeah, I also saw that tweet. I mean, I think he's an amazing film critic in general, but, like, I thought that tweet was, like, one of my favorite tweets of the year. I was like, yes! Like, yeah. synth you th synthesized it perfectly in context with that. Like, that line, I think, is so beautiful. I think that entire film is so beautiful. To be clear, please go watch it. But, like, yeah, yeah that line, I was like, oh, no, that's Babylon. We got it. So I think that's a brilliant <laughs> point. It just, it just brings the whole thing together it's perfect but uh what do you got for your next one uh my last one is going to be 1928's lonesome uh this is a romantic drama slash comedy about two people who kind of meet each other by chance and they keep running into each other which you think very clearly parallels the relationship uh shared between nelly and manuel um they just keep running into each other at different stages in their career and they keep bouncing off of each other but as soon as they see each other no matter where they are whether they're broke at a party or whether they are rich at a movie premiere their chemistry just immediately hits it off i think their relationship is beautiful i think it's very natural authentic feeling um and i think that dynamic it really clearly parallels the one from lonesome i think it's a lovely film Please go watch it. I think it has some of the best editing of any silent film ever. Um, but a beautiful little film that I see a lot of in Babylon and specifically that relationship. Okay, this is one that I actually haven't heard of. So uh, I'm going to have to check that out. Um, interestingly, to that point, um, 
a much less successful film, but I did think of Amsterdam while watching this <laughs> film. I mean, kind of also deals with that same thing with, uh, you know, again, Margot Robbie, but, you know, with these characters who, you know, pick right back up once they yeah. uh, meet up again. It's weird that she had two movies like that in one year, but... um Obviously, that one didn't do as well, but <laughs> a little, a little worse than Babylon. Yeah. Uh, so I will go with for my last one, Tarantino. Um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Glorious Bastards. Any of the ones where he is taking real life situations, real life people, especially Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, because yeah. it's Hollywood. But um, and you know, creating these fictionalized stories based on the things that we know about the characters, but then kind of twisting things and uh, for the sake of a story and for the sake of a, uh, a narrative and, and creating something that tells some other kind of story, but within the, the confines of all the things we know about these people. Yeah, and that was my number six. That was the one I had on my list and I was going through and I was like, oh, I'll replace it. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a lovely comparison. I think that role is probably what got got Margot Robbie this role. I think they're very similar in some ways. Um, I think that's a very poignant, just both looking at the end of an era, right? In a cinema, yeah. that one in a, obviously a different era. But yeah, I think there's lovely parallels there. Yeah. And you know what? Speaking of speaking of which, maybe as a bonus puzzle piece, I was thinking about Hail Caesar as yep. well. But again, another, you know, different era in Hollywood, but dealing with that behind the scenes and, you know, all that kind of stuff. The same the same kind of ideas there. So throw that on the list. But um, I'll read down our final list of puzzle pieces here for the finished puzzle. And we'll get into some closing thoughts. But we talked about Boogie Nights, Singing in the Rain, The Day of the Locusts, The Wolf of Wall Street, The Irishman, The Player. Dante's Inferno, The Last Black Man in San Francisco, Lonesome, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Hail Caesar. Um, you know, again, this the the celebration of of Hollywood and uh, movie history and movie magic, but then also in the dark side of all of it. Um, you know, it, it's it's all there. Another one I had thought of, I guess, throw it in as another bon bonus puzzle piece. All that jazz. Um, mm. Bob Fosse's just insane, over the top montage of show business and his own life and and everything. So, you know, another one that kind of just goes along the lines of a lot of the stuff we've been talking about here. Sure. I, I don't think I would necessarily, I think it's weird to call it inspiration considering it's still Chazelle. I think a lot of Babylon's a natural evolution of La La Land. I will throw out specifically sure. looking at like looking back and what could have been and that like trying to find that happiness and what are you willing to sacrifice to find your dreams and follow your dreams. Um, again, it's weird to say it's an inspiration considering it's just him, but I would throw that out there as a bonus puzzle piece, if you will. Yeah, no, I, I think that's absolutely fair. I, th I think he's clearly um you know going back to that and and he had more to look into and especially after the new experiences of you know being a hollywood it person and then all the backlash and obviously what we started this conversation with just the insane over the top uh reactions to his work that he's probably you know seen and probably understands that that's how people talk about his work probably got him looking inward at just the darkness of this industry and everything yeah, not to be dark, I kind of feel like we'll look back at his filmography and think like, oh, first man bombing and getting that backlash probably was like the best thing to happen for him. Mm. I think it gave him that edge. It gave him like, I don't want to say a darkness because like I do, you know, I wish the guy success and well, but I think that gave him a grit that he really needed to transform from a filmmaker who's making something like La La Land to making something like Babylon. It gave him like that venom backbone, yeah. I guess you could say. Um, yeah. 
I think we're going to look back and be like, oh, that was a key moment. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, any other closing thoughts? I mean, I, you know what? One I'll throw in here because um, there's such a big cast. I mean, we can't even possibly talk about everyone, but Eric Roberts in a big Hollywood movie. Uh, we need more of that, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> uh there's so many people here who's just if you look through the cast it's like insane how many people are here and just like they're all amazing truly like i rewatched yeah. this last night like i just think this is like one of the best ensembles of the year i mean it's my number one film of the year so i could really go down probably every category pretty much and be like well it's my favorite there but um yeah i mean i just really hope people check it out have an open mind it's very weird at times but i think it builds wonderfully and just, like, what a challenging narrative. I think it's bold of him to, you know, attack the medium through the medium itself, to challenge it, you know, movies through movies. And yeah. I think it just turns... I truly, like, I don't know. With the current state of, like, conversation around film, I cannot say this with certainty. But I do hope, like, I feel like this might become a defining film, like, of the decade. I think this could really grow if it finds an audience and people are engaging with it thematically how I hope they do. Um, specifically with that end like montage. I don't know how anyone can sit in the theater and watch that end montage and not just be blown away by like the power of cinema and the layers of emotion there. Um, yeah. I think this really could become like a fundamental piece of like film criticism and modern film identity. Yeah, well, hopefully if Avatar screenings are sold out, uh, people will go <laughs> and actually right, watch right. this. So we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, I think that does it for Babylon. Uh, Carson, is there another movie you watched recently you'd like to recommend to our listeners? Uh, I'd recommend... Let's do A Man Called Otto. I don't know. I feel like no one's going to go see that in theaters. I saw it recently. I can't fully review it yet, but I think it was a charming little Tom Hanks film that I think is one of the better English remakes of international cinema, and I love the original film. It was one of my favorite films of the year it came out. A little less positive on this one, but like I still hope people go see it. It's sweet. It's charming. Yeah, I, I haven't gotten a chance to watch it yet, but um, I, I'm I I loved Elvis, so I'm 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 on the Tom Hanks uh, weird you know train. So let's go, you know. <laughs> oh, uh, Tom Hanks, Elvis, give me that Oscar nomination. Like I I don't I'm sorry for whoever it kicks out, but like I need that in my soul. Yeah, absolutely. That's another uh, good companion piece to this movie. But uh, it really is. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, well, awesome, Carson. Tell people where they can find you and your writing and everything you're up to. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at BP underscore movie reviews. I write for Buttered Popcorn, Clapper. I host Clappercast, which is coming back at the end of the month, where once a month we review, or once a week we review the newest in cinema. Um, and you can just find my words everywhere. I'm, I'm all over the place. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, it's been a while since we had you on the show. Hopefully we'll get you back on again a little bit sooner next time. Yes, hopefully. <laughs> Hi, this is Wax Tracks Records here on 2909 South Decatur. We buy all your old 45s, your old albums, any type of music memorabilia. Also, we sell music memorabilia, albums, CDs, and a lot. Come on down to Wax Tracks, 2909 South Decatur, or give me a call at 702-362-4300. Thank you very much. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Thank you to Carson Tamar for joining me on that one, and thank you to you for listening to the show. Uh, we're closing up the year strong, so many episodes, but uh, I hope you've been enjoying what we've been doing in 2022. Lots to look forward to in 2023. But first up, of course, will be our end-of-the-year top 10 list episodes, which are coming 
I guess next week at the time that this is going up. And uh, also my new album, More Content, which comes out on December 30th. Our next episode of Piecing It Together will actually be a special episode where I do an album-length commentary of more content. So uh, while it will be up on streaming and there is a limited edition CD available that you can order on Bandcamp and on CD Baby, uh, you'll get to hear it with me talking over it uh, here on the podcast. So make sure you're subscribed and you'll get to hear that. And uh, if you enjoy what we do here on Piecing It Together, make sure to drop us those five-star ratings. I would appreciate it. Also, with it being a new year, uh, a reminder that if you ever want to join me for an episode of Piecing It Together, get in touch. You can email me or contact me on social media at PiecingPod. Don't forget about our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. Uh, But I'd love to have you on the show. So get in touch, and maybe we'll make that happen in the new year. Uh, let's, uh, finish this thing up though. We've got a lot of things to do to finish up the year. It's a busy time. Uh, I'm going to play a piece from the new album to play us out. And for a film that is a celebration of excess like Babylon, why not go with the title track more from more content? So this is more, hope you enjoy it. And like I said, we'll be back with a special preview of the full album, uh, coming up this Friday.
an All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.